Hello and welcome to our FIS podcast, Castaway, keeping you in the know on the shipping and commodity world where we're all at home quarantined. We know that the working and business has changed dramatically in the past couple of months, so developing a range of resources to help keep you up to date on everything happening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website, www.freightinvestorservices.com, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. FIS is fully functional. Every broker, every office, and every team is ready to help you with pricing, research, and operational assistance. Hello, and welcome back to uh, FIS's podcast, Castaway. Uh, we have some of the original crew back, and it's nice to see Kerry's face. He's in the office today, so uh, I've forgotten <laughs> what he looked like. So uh, welcome back, Kerry. Uh, so for this week... Um, we've only got uh, Tom and Kerry joining myself, uh, but we're going to do what we have done over the last few weeks and we'll start with some news stories which have caught our eye, uh, go through uh, anal- analysis of some of the main markets that we cover here, and then ending with our new random market of the week. So, uh, Tom, all the way from Singapore, why don't we start with you? And you've picked up on a news story from The Economist on um, Chinese foreign policy. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting one. Um, so it, it's um, about what has become determined uh, or, or n- now known as uh, wolf warrior foreign policy or wolf warrior diplomacy. So wolf warrior is, a, is the highest grossing film uh, ever in China uh, and is a sort of action film about um, China rescuing uh, an African state from uh, a, a sort of war and a pandemic um, and it's obviously uh, become quite relevant uh, with the pandemic that's going on at the moment. Uh, the film holds China up as a sort of globally respected leader of the world, uh, and there's some fairly strong put-downs of America uh, in the film. Um, and at the NPC conference last week, um, the Chinese leadership were asked about uh, wolf warrior diplomacy and and what China <coughs> is doing and whether that is a thing um, and and basically what the article is highlighting is that China's perception of itself or, or how it wants the world to perceive itself uh, is is potentially quite different to 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 how the the rest of the world sees it but it has ambitions of being this global leader but with what's going on at the moment. Um, it's fairly aggressive stance that it's taking with a lot of um, other countries, um, particularly America. Um, is is it's a um, putting putting the, the world and, and China at loggerheads with with its sort of uh, wider ambitions, and and there is some interesting dynamics at play within China. Uh, a lot of people feel that the the new sort of very aggressive foreign policy diplomacy that we're seeing out of China is is overplaying its hand uh, too early in its development as a sort of global political player. Um, and obviously with um, the man in power in the US um, being quite reactionary um, as well, it will be uh, interesting to see how this wolf warrior diplomacy plays out. So it was just a, an interesting take on on uh, China's um Sort of growing stature as a world player, uh, and how China perceives itself, and how the rest of the world is is reacting. Yeah, because it's something that's come into view with the things which have been happening in in Hong Kong. Uh, I know that uh, there's been other countries, Britain, Australia, and uh, several other its allies have made a statement on that, due to the new security law and the you know, the Trump 
threw his own lot in there. And this is seemed to be the next stage of the, the proxy war between the, the US and, and China. Uh, and, and a lot of people might argue it's actually counterproductive at this stage, uh, as Tom mentioned. It's, it's interesting to see China taking this hyper-aggressive stance, you know, even in public in other countries. I recall just the other week here in the UK, uh, a spokesman for the Chinese embassy showed up on the BBC and managed to offend quite a lot of people with a, a very aggressive take on the UK's handling of the crisis versus China's and uh, an and insistence on, on some conspiracy theories about where the virus really came from, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, you know, I, I'm not sure they're really catching the global tone very well with this, but it is interesting to, um, to see them push ahead with it nonetheless. Well, I think there's a bit of a power vacuum being left as well by the US and their sort of sudden unwillingness to not be the global leader. And, you know, in in times past, if we were in the same situation, the world would be looking to the US to lead lead the rest of the world out of this situation. And then that's clearly not the priority for for the current uh, current government, and it has left a, a huge no, power not. vacuum globally. And um, you know, China are seeking to fill that, and and their way of doing it is aggressive. You know, yeah. um, and and we'll see how it plays. Out. I guess Trump as well. You know, this could be seen as a this could be seen as a, a reaction to the things which Trump has been saying in his press brief- briefings. You know, when anyone when it starts to get a little bit difficult in his press briefings, he will start having a go at China, blaming for you know virus. <laughs> exactly, the whole start exactly. of everything. He didn't refer to it as coronavirus; it was the Chinese virus. This does seem to be one a reaction against that, and a logical step for China. I know Tom, you've talked previously about you know the Belt and Road Initiative by the Chinese government. This does seem to be the next logical step for them, from economically getting involved in other countries' investments. Now they're starting to go, well, if we're doing that and we're pushing towards being, you know, one of the largest economies in the world, we would, we want to say we, we well, should be that person who's leading. Absolutely. I mean, I think soft power, um, as, as it's termed, is, is one of the, the, the reasons why the UK has been such a big global player for such a long time. It, it has been very good at that sort of behind the scenes diplomacy and acting as a global intermediary. Um, uh, you know, with the advent of Brexit and uh, and everything like that, it remains to be seen whether the UK still has that position. But um, yes, yeah, soft power definitely leads to economic power, and uh, you know China is fully aware of that. Um, and it will be yeah, it'll be interesting to see, particularly if, if you know um, the, Donald Trump doesn't get re-elected in 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 November, if the Democrats do get in under under Joe Biden, whether there is a huge you know, a, a marked policy change and. And America does start to, to pick up again where it left off four years ago. Uh, what would happen then? So it's it's a very, it's a very interesting dynamic that's being played out at the moment, um, albeit <laughs> with a fairly um, a, a fairly worrying background for us all with regards to the virus. Yeah, I guess it's worth Kerry if you could come on on this uh, talking about the U.S. situation that we've had because it is definitely affecting markets. Uh, it is. It's affecting the equity markets probably less than most people expected. Um, They they seem to be holding up quite nicely, although I think there's a long history of investors shrugging off social unrest. Um, It it does seem a little bit different this time in in terms of the scale of of the protests in the US. Uh, the, uh, the, The tinderbox conditions that have been created over the past few years through policy, uh, decades perhaps even, uh, as well as of course, during the recent lockdown 
through coronavirus only needed one lightning strike to, to set them off. Uh, and that happened through that, that appalling video that, that we've all seen on the news of a, of a man being murdered uh, in the street by a police officer. But uh, at the same time, you know, one has to think, uh, you know, what are the implications of this for A, the stability uh, of the U.S. in terms of its foreign policy proje- projection moving forward? Uh, will the U.S. withdraw into itself further, regardless of who gets elected in the next cycle? Uh, will this be a time of healing and rebuilding inside the U.S. Uh, rather than a time of power projection abroad? So this all plays into that interesting global dynamic, uh, as Tom was mentioning, I think. Yeah. And I guess the withdrawal of the U.S., it, I think that the Chinese think that this is going to continue and they're going, OK, so if, if the U.S. isn't here, China's to the rescue. Exactly. Exactly. So it remains to be seen how quickly um, these protest movements subside. I think it remains to be seen, you know, what, what long-term societal damage is done to this and, and also how quickly we can move on from this. Uh, a lot will probably depend on, on the coming elections as well uh, in terms of the country saying really where it wants to go. So uh, let's uh, let's see. Yeah, we've got till November for those uh, presidential elections. Yeah. So um, it's all it could definitely escalate further yeah. as we get closer to that and things are without are a doubt. And I, and I would expect, frankly, uh, to see to see something like that, to see, you know, a, a lot of, a lot more unrest as we get closer to those elections, I think is probably a good bet. But let's see. So we've been spending quite a bit of time talking about um, some geopolitics. So why don't we bring it back to a news story, which does play into the stuff I want to talk about on oil. And that's, if you've been watching it, we've moved above $40. And as I uh, mentioned in my morning report this morning, uh, if we were two months ago and I said to you, oh, today we'd be uh, $40 or above $40 on oil, I'm sure you would have laughed me out of the room with things that were, <laughs> were happening. You know, the virus is coming in, we had no end to it. So it is quite a step forward for, for the market to do that. And it's been done through a kind of multitude of factors where has pushed this up and one has been that OPEC have pulled their finger out and decided to have an agreement. They're now discussing an extension to that agreement, be that one month which Russia wants or or longer, which the Saudis are pushing for. We've also had a drop in inventories across the world. You've seen that in the US. We've discussed it for a number of weeks. We did have a build last week uh, confirmed by the EIA, but again, the API are predicting that we're going to have uh, a draw again, now, a small draw, but a draw nonetheless. Uh, so that has been an indication that the markets are pulling back on what had been you know, previously a, a massive glut and oversupply in the market. Uh, and the fact that countries have relaxed measures, China's coming back on board. You mentioned the increase in Chinese consumption. Uh, it is huge queues of tankers trying to pile new bits of uh, stored oil straight into, into China and the economy starting back up again. So a multitude of these factors have, are brought into where we are with $40 on, on oil, but as they say in the age-old saying, you know, buy the rumor, sell the fact. You know, it is still hope. A lot of this is built on, and we, you know, OPEC has a, a long history in going. We're going to cut this amount, but uh, we'll fudge the figures a bit, and we might not actually do it, but we'll say we did. Even though later on, when you go back and see, we didn't really, but uh, it was all okay, and everyone's happy. But definitely, it seems that the tide has turned for, for producers, and, and the good times might start to to return. But some other interesting things which have come about uh, this week in the oil market is has been around gas oil. It's been one of the things which has pushed up most. All products have pushed up because you know, basis Brent, the underlying, has, uh, has yeah. increased in price. But gas oil especially has been has been pushing up. 
um, if you, we talked about the kind of gas all east west, which has went positive territory, usually it's negative. You know, that's quite a move. Uh, a lot of this has been driven by the Singapore market, uh, about refiners not being able to be, you know, refine too much. So you've had that supply problem. But this has also been coloured in terms of the east-west, the difference between European and Singapore gasols by the fact that Europe has been supplied with quite a lot recently. So you've seen the usual thing of having European, this is the ice gasol swap over Singapore in terms of price reverse. That's what the kind of east-west spread has done. So one thing to, to look at in terms of gasol, especially if you're trading the new Sing 0.5% or ROC 0.5% fuels, because the way that they price that is off gasol. So if your gas oil is moving up significantly, unless the spread between those is moving a lot, which it hasn't recently, it's been very stable, yeah. um, especially in, the, in, in Europe. So that gas oil moving up is definitely going to impact those new compliant, IMO compliant fuels compared to uh, what you usually use uh, watching Brent. So if you're looking at Brent going, oh, okay, it's ticking up not too badly. Why is my 0.5% prices jump so much? You're looking at the wrong product. It's gas oil it should be looking your focus on. That's a good point, Chris, yeah. And moving on to, why don't we take to, to iron ore and bring Tom in again. I know, Kerry, you probably have some points to say on this as well. But, uh, Tom, what's happening in the iron ore market? Uh, well, last week we discussed at length the, uh, the end of the iron ore rally that we had been talking about for the past six or seven weeks. Um, and it seemed uh, it seems that it's not the end uh, and that the market was merely taking a breather. Uh, and it's actually... Um, pushed on quite hard um, since we last spoke. Um, so um, we broke $100 um, on Thursday uh, and, and stayed above it Friday. It's come back off a little bit uh, the first couple of days of this week, but um, so the prompt months are still high 90s. Um, so um, the, 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 the breather that we talked about was a very, very short breather uh, and the the price action has been a continuation of the March North. Um, some of the things to uh, factor into that conversation are things that we touched on lightly last week. Again, it's still a, a Brazil-led story um, the, to, to some extent. Um, we, we talked last week about Vale um, uh, being, being unable to hit their production targets for 2020. Um, but finally have come out and said to CISA, um, the China Iron and Steel Association, um, that they would guarantee iron ore sales to China in 2020, uh, by that meaning that they would guarantee that 2020 numbers would be higher than 2019. Um, from where we're sat at the moment, that looks quite a, um, quite a bold statement, but, um, if it comes to fruition, that will be very positive for freight rates in the back of this back half of this year as well. Um, so there's still supply constraint. Iron ore port inventories are at five year lows in China, uh, with around the 100 to 110 million tons level. Um, and as we discussed last week as well, we talked about um, a narrowing of blast furnace steel margins, and the the, the furnaces in the north of China. Um, are approaching a zero dollar margin on the on their steel uh, steel margin due to the, the the sort of rise up of iron ore pricing in May. So we do expect that to have an impact moving forward. Um, but essentially, yeah, it's a continuation of the Vale story. Really, I think the market is is sort of discounting some of that statement because uh, from you know we're five months into the year. Um, 
and uh, stating that they are still going to out, outperform 2019 from, from where we're currently at, I think is a fairly bold statement. Uh, open interest on the DCE has reached sort of uh, not, not quite the highs of the year, but we've seen a significant build in the last week, um, just slightly lower than the, the previous highs in February. Um, so there's clearly a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon uh, onshore in China, believing this is probably going to go higher. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. Um, but um, but yeah, an interesting week. <laughs> it's it's interesting what you say about the market discounting effectively Valet's statement, uh, Valet's guarantee to CISA that they would make their production target this year. Because whilst the iron ore market seems to be paying a lot more attention to the COVID story in Brazil and therefore discounting that Valet statement, um, the dry freight market is almost doing the exact opposite. Uh, it's created uh, a huge amount of optimism in the market. Um, in fact, the past week on the Capes could be summed up as Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. Um, demand is actually coming from the smaller miners at the moment, uh, people like CSN rather than your your valets. Uh, uh, but there is demand. It's driven up physical rates on the big ships fairly sharply, especially when you pair those voyage rates against, uh, you know, combine that with the uh, the increasing fuel costs. Um, we've just seen $9.40 done yesterday for end June loading dates uh, out of Brazil on the C3 uh, route to China. Uh, that's against an index of $8.50, uh, so massively above the index. Uh, this is lifting the Pacific as well. We're seeing uh, on the physical market C5, that Australia-China route, fixing $5 today against an index of uh, $4.48 yesterday. So, you know, this is causing uh, a massive sentiment uptick, which was greatly helped by that valet statement. Uh, that's also causing the TC rates to start to fly. Um, and while the TC average uh, up through yesterday had only just gotten back to where it was this time last week at about $4,200, we can expect it to start jumping quite substantially from today in the very short term. Um, and, and so it's, 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 it's interesting to watch these two markets Treat that statement very, very differently. Whilst the whilst the sort of the the benchmark, the sixty two percent iron ore is so is so high. Obviously, the 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 cost benefit of using a higher quality ore, which Brazil normally produces, is 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 much more beneficial. So you're talking about the likes of CSN being able to to generate some real real market capture. I, I presume. You know there is a huge demand for Brazilian ore, aside from aside from Vale at the moment. Um, that that China is trying to trying to get in, given what we were just saying about uh, about steel margins as well. So, uh, if, if if any of them can deliver, it will be a hugely positive story on 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 rates. Um, it will just be interesting to see how it plays out. But yeah. exactly, exactly, it's, it's that, and it's that question of whether they're capable of delivering. Um, but yeah. you're absolutely right that demand will be skyrocketing for the 65%, uh, 66% Brazilian grades. Yeah. So, um, meanwhile, on the Panamaxes, also looking a lot more positive this week. Uh, general perception now that we've been through the worst of the pain, and the market should slowly be continuing to improve. Even the North Atlantic, which had been the, the hardest hit by the lack of mineral flows, was starting to show promise. So so overall, a positive story this week on the on the dry freight. Yeah, it does seem to be a kind of change of sentiment, as we talked about in the oil, that 
as these economies start opening up. I know that we were talking about the Brazil problem last week in terms of being the kind of epicenter of the virus in South America, but it seems that we're starting to get towards more normal markets and more normal market functioning, apart from the iron ore market, which seems to have a life of its own <laughs> and doesn't care about anybody else. I just, I just needed a breather. We're still climbing up this mountain. And it's not, it's exactly, not exactly. Um, I, I think that is true. You know, the seasonality on freight has actually still been there largely throughout this um, and appears that it might hold if you if you believe in, in what the future the futures markets are telling us. Um, so, um, you know, there's, there's no sign that the COVID crisis, while it might have affected overall levels, has affected that seasonality pattern yet um, on, on the freight. So let's see. Yeah. More things to look forward to in future weeks. Exactly. Yeah. And Kerry, we've got a, a new feature in uh, in this podcast, but not a new feature to FIS. I mean, Fertilizer is something we offer here at FIS, but you've got some uh, analysis week on it. We do, yeah. I mean, fertilizers are a market that uh, that we have a significant presence in here. Um, and this week's been an interesting week because uh, a lot of the focus in the international markets is turned to an upcoming Indian urea purchasing tender, uh, which has caused both the uh, AG and the Egyptian uh, urea paper to firm for the June and July contracts. Uh Basically, on expectations, the tender will support these international urea prices. The deciding factor here, again, will be whether China decides to participate in a significant volume. Uh, you know, they've had a fairly lackluster, lackluster demand for uh, domestic urea demand within China. Uh, and uh, the Chinese uh, didn't participate very much in the previous round. It will be interesting to see if they do participate more and if this does lift prices, as the markets are suggesting it could. Uh, meanwhile, in the newer Brazil CFR urea contract, uh, attention is shifting to the deferred markets now. This is actually caused by the strengthening of the uh, Brazilian real against the US dollar recently, and it's giving importers the chance to take an opportunity to hedge their purchases for next season. Uh, the NOLA fertilizer markets have also shifted their attention to the more deferred months uh, with purchasing for the U.S. summer crop all but done now. Uh, players are looking to hedge their exposure for next season on paper, uh, whilst those caught with the physical product continue to depress the barge market as they seek outlets to uh, offload their surplus stock. So interesting times across the board on the, uh, on the FERTS markets and, uh, and a bit of a reminder that uh, that's a product we actively trade here at FIS. Yeah, it's interesting that a lot of these things that we've been talking about across products has we've only been really mentioning BRIC countries and that, <laughs> the, the fact that the the only other one that you think of as a huge economic impact US have, have gone MIA but just just an observation of things we've been talking about are those BRIC countries really the ones that are driving a lot of these fundamentals uh, in the market exactly exactly and that has certainly not changed throughout any of this so yeah uh, so we've got to move on to, to metals Kerry again what's been uh, happening in our in our metals, you got some points. Just a quick update up. there. I mean, I the FT had an interesting article on Monday, which essentially highlighted that aluminium financing represents still one of the best risk-free trades in the world at the moment. So I'd recommend anyone to uh, to look that up. Uh, uh, fund activity has been conspicuous mainly by its absence on the uh, base metals complex. Short covering has been the theme on copper on both the LME and the CME contracts, rather than fresh longs being added. Uh, and again, uh, the money men have their eyes on what's happening in China uh, as they lead the world out of lockdown. They're all piling uh, into uh, iron ore, Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I guess uh, a lot of these things have been 
talks about in these these, these markets, we are seeing, I guess, to summarise everything, a general positive view that continues. Absolutely. And the one that we predicted that would fall off has just stalled previously and continued on <laughs> and continued on upwards. Further. Exactly. I so, need to give you back my T-shirt, Chris. Yeah, that's all right. You can you can increase air freight rate by sending it back to me. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it is, I guess, what a contrast to what we've seen in all these other podcasts where we might have some good news, but it seems to be kind of a general sense that of cross markets as well as if we're looking at the situation with with the virus. With it still seems fairly positive uh, in a lot of European countries. China doesn't seem. I mean, we did point out that new uh, lockdown in the northeast. I've not heard any more from it. I don't know if anyone else has. No, no. I th- it, it sounds as if they've contained it. Um, obviously, information flow is always limited. But uh, but uh, I think it can only be good news that we haven't heard further about that lockdown in Harbin in the Northeast. Yeah. And it seems that the only kind of news which is bringing kind of bearish thoughts on, on markets is those areas of um, unrest, be that Hong Kong and be that in the U.S., so kind of general sense of what we're, we're seeing across. But let's finish as we usually do in a bit of <laughs> silliness or kind of a random thing which we didn't know previously. And this week I've done a bit of research and I have found snowfall futures. Good Lord. So these are another wacky thing on the CME exchange uh, launched in 2006 um, and are part of kind of a larger collection of weather related tools which people can use to hedge risk. So um, just to give you context, 2011, more than $9.2 billion in weather contracts were traded. So it's not some small market, which is there's just some uh, crank at home in his uh, his pants trading this. Now, no, this indeed. Is, this is part of a wide selection of, of rainfall, snowfall, a lot of weather-related products. So um, let's get into the kind of details of this. Um, interestingly, this is based on some very specific locations. So the, the index has um, Boston, New York Central Park, uh, New York uh, LaGuardia, Chicago, uh, Minneapolis, Detroit, Newark, Baltimore, Columbus, and Colorado Springs. There's very specific locations. Interesting to, to me that LaGuardia and Central Park are both taken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're only about five miles apart, but yeah. Clearly there's uh, an arb there to, to open up between the levels <laughs> exactly. of snow between the two. Exactly. Um, this is a cash settled um, product. Obviously, they're not going to be delivering you the amount of snow that you get correct um, on this, but um, it's, the contract size is $500 times the respective snowfall index. If you know what that is, please send me the answer on a postcard to uh, the FIS London <laughs> office. Um, pricing units are in dollars. It's obviously a US contract. Uh, and the months that it covers are November through to April. Which make a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, makes really. a lot of sense. It's <laughs> a, a US <laughs> seasonal snow market. Yeah. But Chris, just, uh, um, with with, um, with this being listed on CME, it's, it's obviously an exchange mm-hmm. traded contract, so standardized. Do you know how they went about that process with every snowflake being completely unique? <laughs> In the absence of Alex, Tom's got to do it. <laughs> But no, I have. Uh, they, there's also an options market on this. Um, if people are, are interested, the snowman um, struggle. Oh, I can actually tell you that, that I listed all those um, uh, specific areas, specific places where the, the contract is listed. But it, it is uh, very, very specific where they are. So it's actually going to be Baltimore, Washington International Airport, not just Baltimore as a whole. It's Boston Logan uh, International Airport. A lot of airports. 
So, I mean, does it count if they've cleared the runway? Because, <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. Yeah, definitely a point. We're really trading on the on the risk of my flight being delayed here. Is yeah. What we're saying, so. Airport snow levels. <laughs> Airport snow, snowfall future levels. Uh, but just something very random. And uh, as I say, if you, you're interested in this and want to come up with some other wacky things out there, there's definitely loads of other weather-related products. I think there's a... Uh, another sort of storm-related one. There's definitely a rainfall one, and uh, several other ones which I haven't had the time to to look into any few, further. But uh, I picked snowfall this morning because it was been horribly humid, and it reminds us of a, of a cooler time. <laughs> um, but uh, that's where we are in the week. I don't know if there's any other comments from Kerry before we finish up. Not at all. Not at all. And Tom, all the way from Singapore. Anything to finish up before we finish for the week? No, that's all from me today, Chris. Cool. Thank Thanks, you very Chris. much, guys, and uh, to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in again, and. Listen to us again next week.